in one aspect of the kingdom of God. You know, Romans 14 and 17 says that the kingdom of God is it's not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we talked about peace and um, our staff meeting this week, and we talked about anxiety. Anxiety is, is a thief of our peace. Anxiety steals our, our peace. And I, I want to talk to you today about this, this idea of, in, in Matthew four seventeen, Jesus kind of unlocks something for us when he begins to preach. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word repent is such a powerful word. But the very basic meaning of that word is a change of mind. It's a change, change of mind, because a change of mind will lead to a change of heart. Change of heart will lead to a change of direction. So I've got to change my mind about what I think about God before I can really receive what God has for my life. Because I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, you cannot receive what you do not perceive. Everything in the kingdom is about faith. The only way I get access to anything in, in the kingdom is through faith. And faith allows me, first of all, we learned last week, John taught us this, that we must be born again. I must be born again, or I cannot see, I cannot enter the kingdom. Uh, I think Dr. Les Young said it to me this week, this way on Tuesday morning. He said, you can't get in the kingdom until the kingdom gets into you. And so the first, the first, the first way for me to access what God has for me is for me to be born into the kingdom. I, I'm born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? I'm not born again because I'm good. I'm not born again because I kept the law. I'm born again through faith in Jesus Christ. He has given me access to his kingdom by faith. So I'm born again. I made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And so Jesus is making a very clear statement about the kingdom in Matthew 4 and 17. And he says, you must repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're going to see what I'm doing and declaring, you have to repent. Romans 12, 1 and 2 kind of put it in a in an interesting way. Romans 12, 1 through 2 tells us that we should not conform to the ways of the world but that we should be transformed by the renewing of our what? Our mind. Ephesians 4 and 23 says this. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's very powerful because that means that my mind has a spirit. So not only do I have a mind, I have a mindset. <laughs> because my mind has a spirit. So in other words, my mind has a mindset. It doesn't just have a view. It has a viewpoint. It doesn't just have the power to perceive and detect. It also has a posture, a demeanor, a bearing, an attitude, a bend. So the Bible is saying, in order to receive what God is trying to say to you, you have to change the way you think about God because you have a predisposition posture that is going to keep you from seeing what God wants to do in your life. It's called sin. <laughs> Now, I want to talk to you about this story in 1 Kings 19 because I want, to, I want to show you about a man whom James says was like us, but he was able to make a declaration and the heavens shut up and it stopped raining for three years. And then he was able to make another declaration. The heavens opened up and it rained after three years. But he was just like me and you. <laughs> and, and some people would think, well, well, Elijah was, he was just powerful and he was, no, Elijah struggled with depression. 
<laughs> and how many of us in this room have struggled with depression and thoughts of we're not good enough and thoughts that we can't do it? And how many of us have struggled with something in our life that we've had mountaintop moments and we've had really low valleys in our life? Anybody had some low valleys in your life. Well, Elijah was just like that, but he was able to speak to the heavens and rain stop and speak again and the rain come because Elijah was able to push past his depression into his presence and find what he needed in time of trouble. First Kings chapter 19, the Bible tells us this. Let's read from first Kings chapter 19 and we'll start in verse one. If you guys have that, you can throw that up on the screen. First Kings chapter 19 and verse one. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now, Elijah had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel had this group of prophets that would basically do what she told them to do. They were false prophets. And Elijah confronts them and overwhelms them with a victory so impressive that God was undeniable in the situation. So Elijah has gone up against these prophets. He's defeated them. Again, in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, he has declared that the drought is over, that the rain is coming. And on his way back into town, the Bible tells us that he gets so excited and so built up in the spirit and so engaged with God that the Bible tells us that he runs out in front of some chariots. Like he literally outruns some horses pulling chariots. This is an amazing thing. And so Elijah is on this mountaintop moment. He has just destroyed the enemies of God. He has just won this great victory. And he has done stuff that's out of his mind amazing. And then 1 Kings chapter 19 happens the next moment. Ahab tells Jezebel, the enemy of God. He tells him all that Elijah has done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. How many of you say that's a death threat? Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he may die, saying, it is enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, his, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Let's learn a little bit about what's happening in this story. And then I think God's going to be able to show us some ways of accessing kingdom peace and defeating anxiety in our life. Can you say amen? I, I, I want to leave here. I want to leave here stronger. First of all, we notice this. Jezebel sends a messenger. Jezebel sends a messenger. The Bible says Jezebel sent a messenger. And she basically is saying, I'm going to get you. Now notice something. The threat is nothing without a messenger. 
There will always be, notice this, always be people, uh, media. There will always be messengers, people that carry the threats of the enemy on their lips. And they will always come to you. Not because you're weak, but because you're strong. Not because you are not God's servant, but because you are. Not because you are failing God, but because you are actually an overcomer in Christ Jesus. Even if you feel weak this morning, the declaration to you is let the weak say I am strong. If you feel poor this morning, let the poor say I am rich. So the enemy doesn't attack you because you're weak. He knows you're strong. That's why he attacks you. And so there, there, there's a reason you're under attack. It's because you have fought your way into another fight. You don't fight your way into rest. You fight your way into another fight. Listen, there's a reason that your team runs on the court when it beats my team. Well, it used to happen this way. I'm a Kentucky fan. We're not having such a good year. But there was a reason that every time that there, there's a reason that if, if Tennessee were to play the number one team, right, in the country and beat them, what would the fans do? Rush the court, right? They would rush the court because they were not supposed to defeat that team, right? So when you're number one, you get everybody's best shot every single time you play. The enemy doesn't take a day off just because you won. He's strategizing on how he can beat you the next time. You have to understand that he know the, the reason he hates you is because you have, an, you have access to a God that he has been rejected by. You have access to the throne room and presence of God that he has been cast out of. And so he is constantly, because he can't take your life and he can't kill you, he's trying to get you to question and compromise your position with God so that he can discourage you. So no wonder he's attacking you. You're on top. You're like, but I don't feel like I'm on top. If you're in Christ, you are an overcomer. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are not a loser. You are a winner. You are on the winning side. So he's going to give you his best shot. And so he sends messengers with threats. I'm going to get you. He operates like a terrorist. The goal of a terrorist attack is not just to kill a lot of people. The goal of the terrorist attack is to make you think you're next. And that, that's why they do it in public places like a restaurant or a bus or a plane, because they want you to be afraid that if, if it could happen on that plane and it could happen in that restaurant and it could happen in that street corner, then it could happen on my plane. It could happen in my restaurant. It could. And so the, the, the goal of a terrorist is to get you to focus on what could happen. What could be. And so the threats come, man, the threats come. I'm going to get you. You're next. I'm coming for you. You saw what I did to them. 
I'm coming to get you. And sometimes it, it happens within our own family structure and system. I, I, your mom got cancer. I'm coming for you next. Your dad died when he was 55. I'm coming for you next. Your parents' marriage ended in divorce. I'm coming for you next. And he operates like a terrorist and he gets us to see what isn't working so much that we forget that there is actually so much working for us and in our favor. We have God on our side. But we're so concerned with what could happen that we miss out on what is happening. And this is a very important thought for us this morning. Whoever gets your ear creates your future. Whoever gets your ear creates your future. Whoever you allow access to your ear. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if faith comes by hearing and we get faith by hearing God's word, what are we putting in our faith? What are we putting our faith in when we hear something contrary to God's word? (laughs) So if I'm constantly hearing bad news and I'm constantly allowing the threats into my life. I'm constantly surrounding myself with messengers of the evil that is around me and the evil that could get to me. Then no wonder I'm not hearing the voice of God. I mean, man, if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is check your Facebook profile and not your Bible, no wonder you're struggling with anxiety. Facebook's going to tell you everything that's wrong with the world. Everything that's wrong with you, everything that's wrong with your friends, everything that's wrong with the president, everything that's wrong with Congress, everything that's wrong with Senate. And then you turn the TV on. And what do you do? CNN, Fox News, and they're telling you everything that's wrong with everybody and how everybody hates you and you should hate everybody and this color and this. And by the time you get to work, you are stressed out, not because anything is wrong with you, but because you have received the messenger. You need to go ahead and tell Jezebel's messenger, you have no place in my home and in my house. If I got to cut my cable off, if I got to rip the radio out of my car, whatever I got to do, I refuse to receive the message from Jezebel. I know what it's going to do to me. Some people are like, I can stand it. Well, good for you. I can't. I got to remove myself from it. It doesn't affect me. Oh, yes, it does. No, you're so mean. Yes, it does. It affects you. <laughs> Whoever gets your ear creates your future. That's why Philippians 4 and 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. No wonder I'm walking in this crazy world and wondering, where is the kingdom? Where is God's kingdom? Well, Matthew 6 said, you'll see it when you seek it. But if you don't seek it first, if you wake up and the first thing in your hand is a telephone, checking your messages and your Facebook posts, and who liked your picture you posted the night before, then no wonder you got anxiety. Because you are not seeking first the kingdom. No wonder you don't see the kingdom. You're not seeking the kingdom. And you can't seek the kingdom second and see it. 
You can't say, I'll get to God later in the day and see him. He said, no, I don't play second fiddle to your telephone. I don't play second fiddle to your spouse. I don't play second fiddle to your kids. If you want to see me, get up before everybody else. If you're, if they're a distraction, then get up earlier. You're like, oh man, he went there, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I went there because I am tired of Christian people, followers of Jesus, kingdom accessors walking in such anxiety and fear, having to pop a pill every second, talk to a counselor every moment, phone a friend all the time, check their Facebook, have, let that ding be like a morphine drip, like a, like a, like a drip that just gives you, get, just numbs you to all of the problems in your life. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, my, my phone. Oh, God. There it is. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I thought I, I, thought I lost you. I thought I lost you. We're, we're more concerned with losing this than we are a relationship. Not that you can lose your salvation, but you can lose fellowship in the sense that where is God? Is he in my life? Is he my, my prayers getting through? Is can lose that sense of intimacy can lose that. I mean, if this phone is wrecking marriages, I mean, this thing is destroying marriages. It's, it's, it's breaking up, it's breaking up friendships. You you know, one of the things that's so crazy about this thing is unless you're talking on it, There's no tone attached to anything you do on this. There's no personal touch to anything you do. And that's why we tried to add emojis. So so we say something and we put an emoji after it to make sure I'm joking. Like I I said this, but it's a joke. Ha ha, laughing face, tears coming down. (laughs) I'm trying to be funny. Because there's no tone attached. We We try to send a picture that adds the emotion. But no, no emoji can replace your voice. No emoji can replace your face. And I know they made it to where you could put a really pale person on there like me or somebody that's really dark skinned like you. But I, it doesn't replace you. Anxiety, watch what it does to him. So the Bible says he, he runs and then he gets to a certain spot and he, he leaves his servant there. And he runs off by himself. Now, if he was going off by himself to pray, I would understand. But he's not going off by himself to pray. He's going by, off by himself to mope, to whine and cry. And the Bible tells us that the person that seeks isolation in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, the one who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rejects all sound judgment. Isolation is not spiritual. The Bible says Jesus would very often go by himself to places and pray. He didn't go by himself to places and whine. Very often we we say, I just want to be by myself. Just me and Jesus. It's not so you can pray. It's so that you can whine. Well, bless the Lord on my soul. Anxiety forces us into isolation and isolation is not spiritual. 
In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God looked at Adam and he said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. His own disciples, when he sent them out, the Bible said he sent them in groups of two. He never sent them alone. They were never supposed to be alone. Because by yourself, you can fall and there's nobody there to help you get back up. And when you isolate yourself, the reason you're isolating yourself is, well, you feel bad for you. But the reason you are doing it is because you are seeking your own way and you are rejecting all sound judgment. In other words, you don't want to be corrected. People don't stay at home because they're tired. They stay at home because they don't want to be corrected. Well, bless the Lord. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just tired this morning. I'm just, I'm just sleepy. I'm just sleepy this morning. No, I don't want to go to church because I know I'm going to get corrected. That's why. Reject. I'll, I'll just stay home. You and the kids, you, you go to church. You ever notice that? Usually, usually it's, it's, it's the man who's like, hey, you baby, you go to church. You do your church thing. I'm just going to stay here and rest and fail to lead my family once again. But I'm in it this morning. I'm like, I ain't afraid to know. Somebody thought because I misspoke about something last week that I'd be like really humble this week and just like really, you know, just calm and not bring it. But I'm going to bring it. Everybody misspeaks. You talk for an hour and a half every week for five plus years. You're going to say some wrong things. So I ain't scared. I never I I never told you I was good with the English language anyway. I never. Y'all know that. (laughs) I I just want to be I just need some alone time. You weren't created other than to pray for alone time. I just need to get off into a cabin by myself. I just need, I just need, to, I just need to get away from my family. I need to get away from my responsibilities and just go on a, 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 just a vacation. Just get away, me, and just a spa, and just no kids, and, and just get away, and just have some quiet. No, 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 no. I, 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 hear, I hear the why behind that, but it's wrong. Because all being by yourself does is make you think about the biggest problem in your life even more. And your biggest problem is not your kids and it's not your husband. (laughs) Your biggest problem is you. So let me get alone so I can think about me more. Because it's all about me. (laughs) Well, this is going over really well this morning. I'm really, really excited about sharing this two more times. I'm tell you what. Gosh. And then watch what he does. And then he he just goes even further. He goes, I'm not even better than my father's. I'm just going to just sit back and I'm just going to accept these generational issues that are in my family. And I'm just going to, I'm not any better than my dad. I'm not any better than my grandpa. This is just how it's always been in my family. We've all dealt with depression. We've all felt this anxiety. We've all thrown in the towel. We've all quit at some point in our life. I'm no better than them. I'm just going to, just going to quit. Psalm 143 and 3, the psalmist put it this way. He said, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. He's, 
he's crushing, he's, he's pursuing, he's making me sit in the dark. Why? Because of what could happen? Because of what might happen? Why, why am I afraid of what could happen? When I guess the worst that could happen could be death, right? So that's the worst that could happen. Why am I afraid of that? Because death is not the end. So why is my anxiety? Why, am I, why, why are all of these things that are true, they're realities? I will die. I could get sick. But there's a truer, there's a truer reality. There's a more real, real. <laughs> there's another realm that's more real than this realm. There's another world that's more real than this world. There's another kingdom that's more real than this day and hour that I'm living in. The Bible says it was by faith that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Do you realize that the world you don't see is more real than the world you are sitting in in this moment right now? So go ahead and threaten me, devil. I refuse. I will not be afraid. My mind is renewed. The renewed mind isn't offended by lack or insufficiency. Because I live and I'm sustained by another realm. Jesus said to his disciples one time, they brought him food. And, and G, they, they were like, Jesus said, hey guys, I'm not hungry. I've got food that you don't know anything about. And they're like, what, did somebody get him a cheeseburger while we were out? What happened? No, he's been doing the work of the kingdom. Like even as a child, he said, I must be about my father's business. He's been doing the work of the kingdom. And so he's being sustained by a realm that's more real than the natural realm. He wasn't just saying that as a figure of speech. No, he had actually lost his natural hunger because he had been, he had been, <laughs> he had been fulfilled by a spiritual desire. Man, so I'm, I just... I refuse to be afraid about what could be because there is so much. I, I'm, I'm so secure and you are so secure. See, see, there are a lot of people who, who live with anxiety because they're afraid. What, what if God, what if, what if, what if I get to heaven and, and, and it really was about works and, and I didn't do enough stuff and, and what, is he going to spit me out of his mouth? Am I lukewarm? Am I hot? Am I cold? Is, is, does God love me? Does God care about me? And we're constantly concerned and our, our, our salvation is put into to question and, and, and we're wondering, does God love us? Does God care about us? And, and so much anxiety rises up because we misinterpret scripture and people have abused us and misused scripture. And, and they've used things like Revelation 3 and 14 through 17, that 20, 14 through 20 area where it says, you know, don't be, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're neither one, you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And we're wondering, well, what temperature am I? <laughs> and we misunderstand the context of the whole scripture. By the way, the, the letter was written to the pastor of the church, to the angel of the church, to the leader of the church. First of all, he's talking to the leader of the church. And second, as he's talking to the congregation, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. So both hot and cold are good. God would not wish 
that anybody would be cold if it's concerning their spirituality. God's desire, his will, the Bible tells us, is that all men would be saved. God doesn't want anybody to be cold towards him. You got to let scripture interpret scripture. And then you got to read that the, the Laodiceans, which he's talking to there in Revelation 3, it's a group of people who would have understood what he meant by hot and cold. They were surrounded by two cities. One was known for their hot springs and another one was known for the cold water that flowed down from the mountain and they were in between. And so by the time the water got to them, it was lukewarm and good for nothing. So God's saying, I wish you were either hot or cold. He's not saying, I wish you were on fire for me. Because usually when we use that to say, wish you were on fire for me, we use that And our level of fire is the level of fire we think everybody should rise to. When the problem with that is that if, (laughs) is that if you were to hold up your level of fire to the level of fire of somebody else, you're always going to be considered lukewarm to somebody. So what's he talking about? He says, what, what does he say? He says, here's, here's why you're neither hot nor cold. This is why you're lukewarm. He said, because you are rich and you think you need nothing. That's that's what lukewarmness is. You You think everything's good with God because you got money. You think the blessing of God is on your life because you got stuff. But the reality is, is you can have all that stuff and you're still wretched. You're still poor. You're still blind. You're still naked. And he says, I'm standing on the outside of your heart. I'm knocking. If anyone will let me in, I'll come in and I'll have a relationship with them. But you've been coming to me based on your money. And your money is not going to save you. Can I tell you this morning, your money is not going to give you peace or free you from the anxiety that you have. Sometimes the more money you have, the more anxiety you have. <laughs> so he, he isolated him. And, and then what does he do? He, 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 he causes him to, to go into depression over a threat that at this time had expired. She said, if, 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 remember the enemy said, the messenger said, if you aren't dead by this time tomorrow, the Bible says he had already gone a day's journey. The threat is over. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue that rises up against you will be condemned. (laughs) The Bible says this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Oh, and by the way, their righteousness is from me. (laughs) Will you stand with me this morning? So what do I do with my anxiety? What do I do? Something very simple happened in this story. The Bible says that when he ran and he got all by himself, that an angel touched him. The Lord actually at one point touches him and says, arise. He says, get up, eat, get up and eat. Notice he wanted to sleep. Some of you think, man, I just need a good nap and everything will be all right. I just need a good night of sleep and everything will be fine. No, sometimes sleep is the enemy of your peace. 
because you're trying to sleep your problems away. And he said, arise, get, get up and eat. You're not tired because of a lack of sleep. You're tired because you're not eating right. You're tired because you're not awake at the moment. You're not alert. You've, you've, been, you've been lulled to sleep by your anxiety and you're going to stay asleep. You need to get up and eat. The, David's servants were so amazed by David because after his son had died, the Bible says that his servants came in and they said, wow, you look good. How, how's that possible? He, he, after, the, after the baby died, the Bible tells us that he washed his face, his face and he, he, he started eating and they were blown away. How, how are you? He said, the baby is dead. I, there's nothing I can do about it. He can't come to me. But I can spend the rest of my life going towards him. One of my friends, Levi Lusco, wrote a book about his, about his uh, daughter's death. She died of an asthma attack, basically, when she was very young. And the Bible, the Bible is, is so beautiful because it gave them so much strength and so much hope. And eternity gave them so much strength and so much hope. He, he, he said, Robbie, I started to change the way I thought. I started to repent about how I thought about death. I used to think after three years, I was, I was, you know, a a thousand or so days away from her living. But he said, no, the renewed mind thinks this way. I'm a thousand days closer to seeing her again. So you got to, it's why, it's why Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anxiety wins if you shut up and go to sleep. Anxiety wins if you shut up and go to sleep. That's why the Bible tells us in Philippians, what does it say? It says, by prayer, supplication, and thankfulness, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. Anxiety wins when you shut up. Anxiety wins when you close it down. Anxiety wins when you isolate yourself. But you beat anxiety by opening up your mouth. How? In prayer. Church, you you don't want to have a better praise life than you have a prayer life. Okay? Because you cannot dance your way into peace. You can't shout your way into peace. You, you, You can't clap your way into peace. You pray your way into peace. Don't trade prayer for entertainment. Don't trade it. Don't trade prayer away for reviews or likes or comments. Because no matter how many you get, you'll always be seeking more. Believe me, I've lived in that zone where every time I preached, I would check Instagram and, and Twitter. Who reached, Did they like it? Did, did they comment? Did they say anything? And it didn't matter if you really liked it or you didn't say a thing. The same level of anxiety hit my heart every week. No matter what you said, no matter how much you complimented, because I wasn't looking for your compliment. I wasn't on there searching for your compliment. I was, but the reality is that's not what I'm looking for. And that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for a peace that only comes from God. He said, it's the peace of God that passes understanding. So he says, pray, supplication. Supplication is basically an act of humility where you say, this is too much for me. God, I'm turning this over to you. I'm out of ideas. I'm out of options. It's, it's this bottom line. If I'll get rid of my pride, I can get rid of my problem. 
Like a man who refuses to ask for directions. I can get to where I'm going if I get rid of my pride. My pride is standing in my way. It's not the problem. It's my pride. If I'll get rid of my pride, I can get rid of my problem. If I'll be unafraid to ask for help, then I can get help. You have not because you ask not. Your pride is getting in the way of your answer. Well, bless the Lord. And then thankfulness. He says, by thankfulness, when you get under attack, you start counting your blessings. The enemy, he cannot stop you from being blessed, but he can, he can act like a terrorist and keep you from enjoying what God has given you. Now watch this. Once we've prayed, once we've made supplication, once we've become humble, once we've gotten thankful, then he says, make your request known. Very often we lead with our request. We don't, we're not supposed to lead with our requests. We lead with prayer. We lead with supplication. We lead. We lead with these things. We lead with thankfulness. And then he says, make your request known. Because once you've prayed, once you've humbled yourself, and once you've thanked God for what you already have, sometimes it actually changes your prayer. Sometimes you start to realize, I don't need that in the first place. So let me actually make a different request to God. (laughs) Amen. I got to let you go.